We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash lawless. Just go to Indeed.com slash lawless right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed com slash lawless terms and conditions apply need to hire you need indeed survivor 46 is here and so is on fire the only official survivor podcast and we have a twist this season the winner of survivor 45 d Vyadaris, will be joining us every week we're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments the how and the why things happen and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me a survivor winner Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. For those counting, this is the third time that Donovan, arguably the greatest ever American soccer player, has unretired. When that thing you've done every day since you were a kid suddenly goes away, it's hard to find something that fills the inevitable void. There's no right time or way to retire. Eventually, like all of us, even Landon Donovan will have to live a life that doesn't involve playing the game. Hello, Sunshine. I'm Alexi Lawless, and welcome to the State of the Union podcast, where we look at the beautiful game on and off the field through the lens of red, white, and blue colored glasses. As you heard, we will be talking about U.S. legend Landon Donovan unretiring yet again. We will have our Mossy Makes the Case segment. Mossy's going to talk about the Real and Barca showdowns we have coming up. We'll be answering your questions in our hashtag Ask Alexi segment, including the Miguel Almiron transfer and so much more. But first, as always, joining me, my friend, my colleague, my guiding light, David Mossy, a soccer savant and a Fox soccer researcher and writer extraordinaire. How are you, Mossy, on this Super Bowl Monday? Yes, I'm, I'm good. I'm still coming down from that exhilarating game. <laughs> uh, now, I know you are a music, music connoisseur. What do you think of the halftime entertainment from the uh, Maroon 5 gentlemen? Pretty forgettable. Pretty forgettable. Yes, y- yes, indeed. Uh, look, Maroon 5 is waking up on this Monday morning. All of them are still multimillionaires. All of them are still rock stars. All of them played the Super Bowl. So nobody cry for Maroon 5 in the same way you don't cry for Nickelback. And you can have all the hate and you can scream and yell at them all that you want. And I will readily admit that it was not one that you're going to put in a time capsule. And everything is judged against Prince, which is, which is a little unfair. It was forgettable. Um, but... Maroon 5 is going to be just fine, and there are 99.99999% of the world that would love to be in Maroon 5 or Adam Levine's position, and by the way, 99.99999999% of the bands out there that would kill or die to have the opportunities and the success that Maroon 5 uh, had in there. Okay, that's my defending of, of Maroon 5. Go ahead, at me, bring it on. No, no. I mean, actually, we were having this debate. I was at a party yesterday. Do you think playing the halftime show at the Super Bowl is still a prestigious thing for, for yes. a... 
Yes. Absolutely. I was talking with my daughter this morning about it, and I said it's not that they had a ho-hum performance. It's that they missed out on an opportunity, this platform. People that like Maroon 5 are going to continue to like Maroon 5, okay? People that don't like them are still going to not like them. But those people that maybe didn't know anything about Maroon 5, that was an opportunity in front of the world, in front of billions of people to say, hey, check us out. Download something. And I think that's where it was wasted because it was not memorable. It didn't reach out and grab you and say, hey, maybe I should turn my head. Maybe I should pay attention to this Maroon 5 group. They seem like an interesting bunch of gentlemen. They really entertained me. Maybe I'm going to download their latest CD or something like that. Anyway, that uh, that didn't happen. Should we stop talking about the Super Bowl and move on to much more let, important Let me just say one oh, last oh, thing. The last uh, Patriots-Rams Super Bowl in January of 2002, uh, U2 performed the halftime show. And it was actually very touching. It was yep. a few months after 9-11. That to me is the last really epic, memorable Super Bowl halftime show. There might have been some good ones since then, but that's the last one that really sticks out in my mind. You didn't think that the Prince show was uh, memorable? Which what year was that? Uh, it was after that. It was two, uh, I don't know seven, six. I don't know. Whenever, whenever it was. I mean, that's for me the one that that's all the last others one are you. judged yeah. upon. And as I said, Prince is in another world when it comes to performing. And you know, he the the, the gods smiled in in putting the rain down, and it was just a, a, an incredible performance. So, oh well. Uh, another Super Bowl done. If uh, I hope everybody had a good time and enjoyed. I hope uh, you didn't have to call in sick today, or maybe you did because you had such a uh, great time. Uh, Super Bowl Prince, uh, Prince was a Super Bowl in 2007, so it's been a while since something spectacular. All right, so that one happened. was the last great one. I think so. Yeah. I think so. Well, you don't have to agree with me. You, no, know, no, you I, rarely I, do. I'm, so. I'm sure. I just forgot it, but I'm sure. I, I, if, if it was as good as you well, say, I'm it sure. It was so <laughs> memorable that I forgot about it. All right, let's get on and talk about some soccer, shall we? All right, let's light this candle. As you know, each and every week we kick off the pod with Alexi Lawless's State of the Union. Yes, it's time for my State of the Union, where I look at a part of the game from an American perspective, and this week it goes a little something like this. Landon Donovan has come out of retirement to sign for the San Diego Soccers in the Major Arena Indoor Soccer League. For those counting, this is the third time that Donovan, arguably the greatest ever American soccer player, has unretired. You can't quit your soccer. But that's no surprise. While a pro sports career can be defining, relative to most other professions, it's a short part of your life. Playing is actually the easy part. Sometimes the hardest part is the rest of your life. When that thing you've done every day since you were a kid suddenly goes away, it's hard to find something that fills the inevitable void. Actually, it's impossible. Nothing ever will, at least in the same way. The lucky ones find alternatives that challenge, interest, and excite them in different ways. There's no right time or way to retire. There's only other people's opinions and judgments of how and when it should be done. But unlike Landon Donovan, most American players don't have the luxury of continued opportunities. Life doesn't operate on your schedule. So recognizing a jumping off point and seeing a potential landing, an opportunity or a transition and taking advantage of it is crucial. Because for most, it might not be there when you're actually ready to stop. Eventually, like all of us, even Landon Donovan will have to live a life that doesn't involve playing the game. But until then, I say keep playing the game you love, Landon, and keep doing what obviously makes you happy. You're lucky to be able to do so. All right, Mossy, you heard my uh, State of the Union. Uh, while it's focused a little bit on Landon Donovan, we can broaden the subject to players and soccer players and athletes in general retiring. Uh, when you first heard of Landon Donovan unretiring and going back to play yet again in indoor soccer, what were your thoughts? 
Well, there's a famous saying in Brazil. It's attributed to this former player, Falcão. He said, a soccer player dies two deaths, one when he retires and the other when God calls him at the end of his life. And it must be an incredibly tough transition at the end of your career. The interesting thing about Landon is that he was always perceived as somebody that wasn't crazy passionate about the game. He got dinged for it for taking sabbaticals, and yet he's shown himself here to be somebody that can't live without the game. So it is kind of interesting. Uh, it is. And, you know, look, this is, as I said, arguably the greatest American soccer player uh, ever to play the game. And, you know, you, you, look, and, and I, if Landon's listening to this, Landon, look, we're going to psychoanalyze you here. <laughs> That's kind of what we're going to do. Uh, d- don't take it. Don't take it personally. Be, it's because you are such a huge legend and a star that people are even talking about this. And by the way, it's because you're such a huge legend and star that the San Diego sto- soccers feel that this is an appropriate th- thing to do. The fact is that he, he needs this game. He needs to have this thing that for so long has defined him, that for so long has been something that he has been able to control, that for so long has been a part of his life and the part of his life, as I said, that he can control and use in a way that gives him that juice. You will never get that juice again once it's gone. I'm, I, am, I am here to tell you, uh, to tell you that. Uh, did you see, getting back to the, uh, the Super Bowl, you know the, um, the Peyton Manning, um, I don't know if you saw the, the, the advertisement they had at the beginning with John Malkovich and, 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 and all that. The, the whole point was that Peyton Manning was in this boardroom with business people in this setting and he wanted to do some things it it is scary as i said when that when that goes away because your skill set that you have honed and worked on and has gotten you to the top immediately it, it goes out the window. It is, it's not of no use, but it is of much, much less use than it, uh, than it ever was. And trying to find something, as I said, that fills that void is next to impossible. I am incredibly lucky. And look, I'm not at Landon Donovan's level when it comes to the amount of money that he made or the opportunities, but I'm still in an incredible minority in terms of the opportunities that were given, not even close to the other 99% that don't have those opportunities, even if they wanted to. I remember when I got the late, great Ziggy Schmidt called me into his office and he said, Alexi, uh, we're not going to uh, continue on with you uh, going forward. It has nothing to do with money. It's just we're going in a different direction. Fair enough. I was 32, 33 at the time. So I could have played and continued on, and I could have found other, other places to play, and uh, we would have figured it out. But in that same moment, I also saw, I talked about a jumping off point, an incredible opportunity for me to go into the front offices. And I know that people out there are saying, yeah, but you sucked at the front office. Well, it's better to have sucked in a front office than never to have even been in a front office at all. Uh, And I learned a tremendous amount. I saw that opportunity because I knew that if I didn't take it at that time, I could go on and play a few more years and and eke it out. But that opportunity might not be there a few years uh, down the line. Now, Landon Donovan is going to have plenty of opportunities, but other, uh, others aren't. So I, I don't begrudge anybody continuing to play and to play as many, many years as, as possible because it is a daunting and a scary environment that you are plopped into one, one, one day when that is taken away. Oftentimes, more often than not, it's taken away when you least expect it. Yeah, I like that he's doing something outside the context of his normal career. I mean, athletes can do whatever they want, but the one thing that bothers fans sometimes is when a player hangs around and becomes mediocre in a league that he once dominated. 
Uh, it's almost like a great movie franchise that does too many sequels or a great TV show that does too many seasons and throw in a couple of clunkers at the end. And it kind of, you know, it's something that was great and you want to remember it fondly, but then it leaves you with a bad taste. And, you know, fans want players' career to have a nice symmetry to it. Uh, so do, would you prefer, if he still wants to play, would you prefer he does something different like this, like an indoor league, rather than him hanging around MLS and being like a bench player and a scrub? Do you think that, that makes a difference? I don't, yeah, I don't think it makes a difference. I don't see a differentiation. If you're playing soccer professionally, you're playing soccer professionally. It doesn't, I, I know people, they want to remember you in a certain way. Uh, and and it's, you know, it happens for actors, as you said, it happens for you know, people in the, in the public eye. There's a, there's a vision and this is what they see you as and they don't want that to ever be tarnished. And then there's the accusation that you are, you are purposely tarnishing your own image and then what I am seeing, it, it doesn't equate to what I, what I hold you up as. I never, as I said before, I, I, Landon Donovan playing indoor or unretiring multiple times for me doesn't tarnish the fact that he is, in my estimation, the greatest male American soccer player uh, ever to play the game. Now, from a, a brand uh, uh, standpoint, when you're looking at Landon Donovan, the brand, does it tarnish that? Is he... Um, because look, Landon Adams is going to go on and make appearances and make plenty of money going uh, going forward. Maybe, may, maybe not. But this this notion that they sh they and I say athletes should retire when we feel it's appropriate and uh, in a, in the circumstances that we feel value and live up to whatever image we have of that person. That's that's ridiculous, especially since. It's such a finite amount of time that you play relative to a lifetime if you live a long, healthy, and normal life that not having the opportunities and not having those things to do when you are done playing. Not everybody amasses a war chest and, and amasses money that they're able to live on in order to figure out what they're going to do or live on the rest of their life. As a matter of fact, 99% of them don't have that. And so they have to find a way to do other things. And that reality check that comes, uh, that comes it comes hard and fast. And there's a lot of people that keep chasing it and trying to find something to replace that juice and that adrenaline and that feeling that they got from playing. And I'm telling you, there is absolutely nothing. It doesn't mean that you can't find an alternative that excites you and challenges you as much. And, and I only from a personal perspective, even more so, I, I am incredibly fortunate to be working in television. We talk about it all the time. I am incredibly privileged. I am also incredibly privileged and fortunate to have found something that excites me and challenges me and interests me in the same, and I would even argue at times even more so than the things that I did on the field. But I'm never going to get that feeling that I had running around on the field again. It's impossible. Yeah, Joe DiMaggio, when he retired in 1951, he said, I'm retiring because I can't be Joe DiMaggio anymore. But then when he was married to Marilyn Monroe and she was in her prime and he saw the adulation she received, he kind of missed it. So, I mean, that's an interesting example there. But yeah, t to skip back to your career for a second, uh, <laughs> I, I, I read this in your Wikipedia page, so it must be true, that you actually walked away briefly in the late 90s, according to Wikipedia, to pursue a career in music. But you've I, told me that's not really true. That's, that's not really true. Um, uh, and, then, okay. and then you came back. So, so talk about on, that. Yeah, so I retired. We called it at the time stepping away. We called it a stepping away because I was still only 30 years old. I, for much of the 1990s, had incredible success and, and it was incredibly fortunate, which meant that I was offered opportunities on and off the field uh, on a continual basis and wonderful opportunities. I burned it at both ends uh, for many, many years straight. I don't 
regret it for a second. I uh, I lived <laughs> uh, I lived an incredibly interesting but an incredibly intense life and lifestyle for a long time, and, and it caught up to caught up with me. And I knew that I needed to take a break. I needed to take a, to step away if I was going to be of any use. It's a longer story. It involves. Uh, uh, there's always a, a, a girl involved in these stories, and there, there is uh, who ultimately became my wife. I'll tell you that story sometime uh, later on. Um, but it was something that I needed to do. And it's, it's not lost on me that when I did return to the game, I had my most successful period of time in Major League Soccer uh, having taken that year off. So it's not that you can't step away from the game or, or, or do anything like that. But I also knew when it was time to really end for, for real that while I will look back fondly, I had to have things in my life. Otherwise, you're living the rest of your life constantly comparing, contrasting everything with what you did on the field. And as I said, you're never going to get that juice uh, again. And Landon, I'm not telling him anything he doesn't know. You're never going to get that juice again. But if people are going to offer you money, and by all accounts, a good chunk of money to continue to play and to be a, a professional soccer player, uh, do it. And who cares what I say or anybody else uh, out there says? You have to live your life. You have to do the things that are going to make you that are going to make you happy. If it's because you're bored, if it because if it's because you just want to prolong this as long as possible and put off the inevitable of having to deal with a, a life, fine. We can judge people all, all all we want. You know, the Landon Donovan is one of the the first big stars, American stars, to have come out of that time, and he was a, a pioneer in this sense of not going to college and not going the college route, uh, which was the traditional route that my, myself and my generation, and certainly uh, previous generations and post-generations uh, have gone, but it's less and less and less. And not having that traditional path and not having that college experience, I'm not, look, I'm not saying that it was good or bad, it's just interesting that uh, a Landon Donovan who didn't have that college experience finds himself in this situation where the one thing that he was doing, and because he didn't have that college experience, all he did from a very, very young age was be a professional soccer player. That's all he knows. That's all he's he's done. And I'm not I'm not dumbing down Landon Donovan. Landon Donovan is an incredibly intelligent, uh, articulate, and cerebral type of uh, type of person. But I always I always wonder what Landon Donovan would have been. As a soccer player and as a person, had he gone the traditional route and had, whether, whether it's four years, two years, or, or any type of experience going through the collegiate uh, pathway, it might have hurt him as a soccer player. It might have helped him as a person. It might have had absolutely no effect or, or any difference uh, at all. But Landon Donovan, still in the news, uh, someone that we still talk to, and uh, we will see how his stint here goes with uh, indoor soccer down there with San Diego. We'll see if this is the final, the uh, the bookend of what has been an interesting and obviously an incredibly legendary career, and if this is the last go around, and then he truly does hang them up and go on to live the rest of his life. And I wish him incredible success and fulfillment in that rest of his life, which we know is not going to be uh, kicking a soccer ball. And I know it can be scary, and I know it can be daunting, but I'm here to tell you that there is life after kicking a, a soccer ball. But don't cry for Landon. Don't cry for any uh, anybody that has the opportunity, the privilege uh, to be a professional soccer player because you are in rarefied air and there are 99% of the people out there that would kill or die to be in your position and to have those opportunities uh, that you are given. All right, anything else, Mossy? That's it. All right, moving on. 
Hello, people. Alexi here. More of the State of the Union podcast is on the way. But first, I wanted to tell you about a service every soccer fan needs to check out. Fox Soccer Match Pass. With Fox Soccer Match Pass, you can stream live and on-demand matches from the Bundesliga, international friendlies, and more. All on your favorite devices. And the best part? It's all ad-free, and you can cancel at any time. So check out foxsoccermatchpass.com and get started with a free seven-day trial today. Now, back to the show. Mossy makes the case. All right, it's time for Mossy Makes the Case. What are you casing about this week, Mossy? My case is that this upcoming Barcelona-Real Madrid trilogy is coming at a fascinating time. Alexi, there were a lot of cynics out there heading into the Copa del Rey semifinal draw who assumed that Barcelona and Real Madrid would be kept apart so they could meet in the final, but they were in fact drawn together in the semis. Betis Valencia is the other semifinal. The Copa del Rey semis are a two-legged affair, so we get... Two bonus Classicos this season. Uh, leg one this Wednesday at Camp Nou. Leg two February 27th at the Bernabeu. And then they meet again March 2nd at the Bernabeu in a league game. Uh, anytime there's a flurry of Classicos like this, everybody harkens back to 2011 when they met four times in a span of two and a half weeks. The managers back then were Jose Mourinho and Pep Guardiola. Neither one is still around, but Pep did reinsert himself into the rivalry recently. He gave an interview in which he said that the three most successful clubs over the last decade have been Barcelona, Bayern Munich, and Juventus. He left out Real Madrid, who have won the Champions League in four of the last five seasons, his reasoning being that he values consistently dominating your domestic league above all else. Uh, As you might expect, folks in Madrid did not take too kindly to this, and they made sure to point out that Barcelona's star player doesn't seem to agree. Uh, Barcelona had an event uh, back in August at Camp Nou to kick off the new season, and Messi, as one of the captains, gave a speech in front of the fans, and he went out of his way to say that the absolute priority this season was to win the Champions League. And that was interesting because uh, over the last few years, Barcelona have collected a lot of domestic silverware while Real Madrid have dominated the Champions League, and there's been this feeling that Real Madrid's Champions League success has overshadowed Barcelona's achievements. But Barcelona people have tried to push back against that. Here was Messi more or less admitting it's true, and he's sick of it, and it's time for them to win the Champions League again. So Messi said what he said, Pep said what he said, and I think it just adds a fascinating subplot here heading into these three games, which I'm very excited for. Okay, other than... So first off, this makes me want so much to have Liverpool win the league and Man City win (laughs) Champions League because it would be such an interesting... uh, um, sight to see how the narratives would play out about uh, what is more important, what is celebrated more. It's a little bit, it's a little bit different because of Liverpool's uh, futility and uh, and and in that particular case. But for the most part, it, if you could take one or the other, if you're Barcelona or Real Madrid, and you could take one or the other, you're, you're taking Champions League. I, I would I would think. I mean, I I look. I understand what the league is. But these are global brands. These are super clubs that are catering to an international audience. And I think we've talked about this before. It pales in comparison, the league trophy, especially for these clubs that dominate every single year. It's one thing if Liverpool comes up and finally and finally wins it. It's, it's, but, at that, but that's an anomaly. As Alfredo Relano, a columnist in Madrid, pointed out, 
Uh, every country has a domestic league. There's only one champion of Europe, Europe each season. Exactly. The Copa del Rey is really interesting because uh, Barcelona have won that the last four seasons, but they've been knocked out in the quarterfinals of the Champions League the last three seasons. So there was a real sense that that's a competition they could do without. And whatever energy they spend on that might detract from the Champions League. And Valverde has been sort of caught in between two minds here because the last two rounds against Levante and Sevilla, he played a weaker lineup in the first leg. They lost. And a lot of people said, just play that same lineup in the second leg and whatever happens, happens. But when he was confronted with the specter of getting knocked out of a competition, keep in mind, he's a manager that's worried about his future there. He reversed course, played a really strong lineup the second leg, and they turned things around and, and moved on. And so, uh, you know, it's going to be interesting here. I mean, Real Madrid, he probably can't get away with, with putting anything less than his best. So, But it, that's been, it's funny because when they lost the first leg to Sevilla in the quarterfinals, Gerard Piquet came out and said, ah, it's the Copa del Rey this season. We don't care about it that much. And then when they went through after the second leg, he said, no, of course, we're Barcelona. <laughs> We got to win everything. So the Madrid media had a lot of fun with that. Oh, so when you thought you were going to get knocked out of right. this competition, it didn't matter. Now that you think you're going to win it again, now it's important. So it's been kind of a funny. Give our listeners uh, and our viewers out there a little uh, synopsis of these two teams right there, because we're, we're coming into another uh, round of Champions League, which is where they kind of pop back on everybody's right. radar. Look, I know there are huge teams and stuff like that, but especially with the TV situation here in the U.S. and, and, and all that, give us a little synopsis. So in terms of the, the Champions League round of 16, Barcelona face Lyon, Real Madrid face Ajax. The big story with Barcelona right now, Messi did get hurt this past weekend against Valencia, so he's less than 100%, which amplifies this debate of do you play Messi uh, in a Copa del Rey match when he's less than 100% when you have these big La Liga games coming up and the Champions League knockout stage right around the corner but then again it is Real Madrid also Dembele who's been out the last couple of weeks trained today looks like he's fit again so you do have that option you have Coutinho there so Valverde's got to sort of manage that and figure out how he wants to play that for this game Um, in terms of Real Madrid remember they lost to Barcelona 5-1 earlier this season without Messi Messi was injured so that was Lopetegui's last game he got fired. Everybody came away from that feeling like there's a massive gulf between these two teams this season. But they're flying right now. They've won five in a row. They're feeling good about themselves. The Madrid media is really playing up that this game against Barcelona is coming at just the right time. They have a big stretcher. Their next three games, away to Barca, away to Atletico Madrid in the league, and then away to Ajax in the first leg of the Champions League round of 16. Uh, two things for Madrid. Benzema has been phenomenal Fine, the last right. few weeks, scoring goals for fun, finally filling that Ronaldo gap. And then the other big Whoa, catalyst okay, here... hold on. All right. Okay, well, easy, but just easy. from a goal-scoring standpoint. Right. The other big catalyst here has been Vinicius Jr. I could not have been more wrong about this. I, I was skeptical about this kid. I thought he was going to be a flop at Madrid, but he's been incredible. I even think criticisms of his decision-making are kind of outdated now. The last seven or eight games, I think his decision-making has been fine. And it's interesting because I think part of Solari for this Barcelona game wants to put more experienced players out there. He's got Bale back now, Asensio, Lucas Vasquez. But Vinicius Jr. has almost become undroppable. I think the fans and media will flip out if he doesn't start on Wednesday. So that's an interesting subplot to watch as well. So that's where these two teams are at right now going into I this game. I told you Vinicius Jr. was going to be awesome. <laughs> you don't listen to me. Uh, you don't listen well, to you're, me. You're such a big fan of youth development. Uh, Here's a kid they've brought <laughs> along. No, it's, it, he, he defies his youth. He's not, for me, he's not a young player. It's right, a, that's right. just an added little bonus. He's just a great player who happens to be young. Yeah. <laughs> Let me, uh, can I go on a little hipster rant here? Oh, I love your hipster rants. Okay, yeah. I've been wanting to get this in for a while. This is okay, a perfect go. chance. So I mentioned the other semifinal is Betis Valencia. Uh, Betis have this manager, Kike Setien, who's like a hipster's dream. 
And I tweeted this a couple weeks ago. If you've ever wondered what it would look like if Pep Guardiola managed the mid-table team, it's this. Because he's this romantic, believes in possession, beautiful soccer. So he's taken over Betis the last two seasons. They finished sixth last season. They're sixth this season. They're also in the knockout stages of the Europa League. They beat Atletico this past weekend. They won away to Barcelona earlier this season. They won away to AC Milan in the Europa League group stage. And they're just a beautiful team to watch. But they're only sixth. So what I said is, if Pep Guardiola managed a mid-table team, they'd play beautiful soccer. they the results would be pretty good, but they wouldn't be great because there's only so much a manager can do. You still need that Messi, Aguero, Lewandowski up there to score the goals, and that's where Betis trip up sometimes. They dominate games, but, but then, they sometimes they don't have that no, end but product. Wait a second, but so, wait a second. So they're, they're, they're sixth. Before he came, what were they? Uh, much worse than that. So, I mean, he's definitely improved the results. Because but he's gotten better players? Or the same players. I mean, he's gotten some better players, but it, it's not a roster that jumps out at you. Like they, okay. they are punching above their weight. But so, I mean, it's it's to your point. It's it's sort of an interesting sort of test tube case of what it would look like if Pep Guardiola managed a mid-table team. He'd get them to be better, and he'd get them to be fun to watch. But they wouldn't be winning major trophies because there's only so much a manager can do. Although this is a chance for him to win a trophy. Valencia's been playing well, so that's going to be a tough semifinal. But if they get through it, the final is actually at Betis's home stadium, so that would be fun. Betis at home playing against either Barcelona or Real Madrid because they would go at them. This guy, he's, he doesn't sit back. He's, he's all about dominating right. games. So this would be a lot I, of fun. I think the, the, the hipster slash romantic type of notion would be, for me, wouldn't necessarily be a Betis. For me, it's that whole tin cup thing where someone is so enamored and such a true believer in what he or she is doing that they will do it even at the expense of winning, that they will do it uh, even at the expense of letting goals in, even the expense of failing. That, to me, is the ultimate romance and romantic type of uh, type of invite. I don't know if we see it. Maybe Bielsa at times can, can be that. When I say Tin Cup, I don't know if you saw the movie, but uh, where he's hitting the ball after ball after ball into the, into, the, uh, into the water and doesn't change, doesn't drop, do anything like that because he believes that that is the ultimate core uh, and the essence of the game in, in being romantic. So you think that for hipsters out there, they should fo- What's his name again, the coach? Kike Setien. Kike Setien. That's the one to watch now. Yeah, absolutely. Is he, does he have? Uh, you think he's going to be uh, uh, catapulted into in, into a higher position here? Is he? Is the trajectory going that way? When he beat Barcelona earlier this season, there was some sure. some talk of like, boy, he'd be a pretty nice fit at that club. There's also been talk about him being a future Spain coach. So wow. so keep an eye on him. He's an intriguing character. And he, by the way, has taken pot shots at the Simeones and Mourinho's. Like, he wears his romanticism on his sleeve, and he thinks managers that don't play that way are ridiculous. And so he's, he's kind of an interesting character. Well, I mean, one, man's, you know, <laughs> one man's romance is, 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 is not everyone, every man's romance. So what he believes is romantic, what he believes is beautiful soccer, isn't necessarily what you believe or I believe, and we talk about that all the time. All right, Masi, we'll see how this uh, three-game stint between two of the greats in soccer changes things, changes our perception. We'll see how it goes, continuing with uh, the La Liga title, and then obviously uh, with Champions League and who ultimately comes out. I, you know, I still think at this point, as important as domestic titles are, they pale in comparison with the, the one outlier, as I mentioned, of if Liverpool were to hold on and to win uh, the PL this year. If that does happen, by the way, as I said, I, I hope and pray that Man City wins it too. So we can see <laughs> Pep get up there and say, congratulations on your uh, your title, uh, Jürgen. But um, we have bigger and better things here as he raises his uh, Champions League. Anything else? That's it. All right, moving on. Ask Alexi. 
All right, it's time for Ask Alexi. Use that hashtag Ask Alexi, and we pull out a few questions, comments uh, that you have made on the uh, social media machines out there, and Mossy gets to read them out. All right, Mossy, what do the people want to know this week? First up, at Where's Precky? <laughs> All in, right. In light of the players sold in the January transfer window, what are your thoughts on the pros and cons of MLS becoming a, quote, selling league? Okay, so uh, we have Miguel Almiron, uh, one of the best players, uh, arguably the best player in Major League Soccer, being sold, uh, and this completion of this project over there with Atlanta United where they paid a lot of money for him. Uh, they built him up over the last two years, and now they sell him on for a tidy profit, a very good pro uh, profit. It ends up being, what, $27 million or so uh, uh, in, in terms of a transfer fee, the new record when it comes for an MLS player. And well, well done to him, and congratulations uh, to Atlanta. This is this is should not be a surprise. Uh, Don Garber, the commissioner of MLS, has made a point of saying that they have to get into the business of selling and not look at it as a problem. That's all fine and well as long as you are uh, replacing and reloading. And that's why Atlanta United once again gets it right because they were planning for this. The Pitti Martinez transfer now bringing him in. It's not just like you're bringing in some schmo. You're bringing in a player who is the South American player of the year. And that is a hell of a replacement for Miguel Amarone. Doesn't mean it's going to go perfectly, but it's a, it's, a, it's a planning and a understanding of replacing the talent that you lose that some other play, uh, teams don't have, and maybe MLS from a, uh, a league standpoint has to keep in mind because MLS, there are leagues, as I said before, like the uh, Eredivisie that brand themselves and are fine being feeder leagues and selling leagues and developmental leagues. MLS does not want to be pigeonholed, but they do want to be involved in the incredible money that's going back and forth. And they can use MLS and they can make some good money by selling, uh, selling those players on. I think this is, that's obviously this is very big for the player. I think it's also big for MLS. And, you know, the, the lack of knowledge when it came to who Miguel Almiron was from uh, the English media and folks over there, it's not surprising, but it is a reality check. And he is going to not just represent himself, Atlanta, his country, but he's going to represent MLS. And it, it would be very good in terms of this project to continue to grow Major League Soccer if this highest transfer fee in MLS history, also the highest transfer fee by a long shot when it comes to Newcastle United where he is going. Last one was what, uh, Michael Owen 15 years ago or something like that, something ridiculous like that. So they they believe in this player. If he does well, it looks great for him and it looks great for, for Major League Soccer. And, and you need more of those things to happen. And I think more of them uh, are, are going to happen. Yeah, the reaction has been fascinating because everybody I've seen on Twitter seems very happy with this idea that MLS is going to embrace becoming a selling league. And I get it. First of all, MLS fans do crave international credibility. And the fact that these big European clubs value what a guy's doing in MLS right. enough to want to buy him is a positive. And then they also look at it as if MLS can become this bridge to Europe that's going to entice better players to come here and the money they make off these sales can be used for scouting and youth development and all that. But it's just funny because normally saying like you're a selling club or a selling league, that has kind of a negative connotation yes. to it yeah. and, and you know I don't know if people have 
thought through the full implications here. Like I can tell you, people in Brazil and Argentina, you know, these leagues where they are constantly selling players to Europe, they're not happy about it. They're resigned to the reality of that's the way things are now. But they constantly bemoan the fact that they're losing their best players and that the quality of the league has suffered as a result. It puts an enormous pressure on you to be constantly having to replace your best players. So, like you said, this is Atlanta United is one case where it looks like they've done that successfully. But you know, let's see the Red Bulls without Tyler Adams and you know the, the other moves. You know, people have talked about Zach Steffen, Tyler Adams, Alfonso Davies, Jovinko leaving. Luciano Costa almost went to PSG. The deal fell through, but he would have been a very tough player for DC United to replace. So, uh, Especially in short short order. It's going to be interesting to see how all that goes. Because, you know, it's funny, like, a couple weeks ago we reported on Atlanta United resigning Joseph Martinez and we all celebrated that as that's great for the league to show that they can hold on to these players. So it's like, which one is it? Are we happy with that? Or we would have been happier if he had been sold to Europe for a big fee? And this is the difference right now, at least, and it could change, between what Atlanta's doing and what someone like Toronto is doing. We just talked about Atlanta and they have a succession plan in place, which is very, very smart because they have built that team on spending big money, but spending it smart on spending it on young, talented players, but not no-name players, and bringing them in and bringing them into that environment, and it has gone great guns. It's been wonderful, but that's what they are selling themselves as. That's why I want to watch. That's why people are buying tickets, and you got to keep that up. Toronto, Giovinco, arrivederci. It was wonderful. Uh, arguably one of the best designated player signings in Major League Soccer. Uh, he heads out. Now, the the situation in Toronto is very interesting because you have Giovinco, uh, you have Michael Bradley, and you have Josie Altidore. Now, we all recognize that the amount of money that they were making uh, was inflated, and it's inflated because of Tim Laiwiki. I love Tim Laiwiki, and whether you are Josie or Michael Bradley or Sebastian Jovinko, you should be sending Christmas cards three or four times a year, three or four Christmas cards a year <laughs> to Tim uh, Laiwiki, who's no longer there, because he went out and he, we all recognized, uh, needed to do something big. And in order to do something big, you have to pay, and you have to overpay. And Michael Bradley and, and Josie Altidore especially would never have commanded those types of salaries from anywhere else in the world. It's all about timing. Life is all about timing. I'm not saying they're not good, but if Michael Bradley and Josie Altidore at the same age were coming back to MLS right now, that, that type of deal would not necessarily be uh, on, the, uh, on the table. Now, they have to figure out in Toronto because now they've sold themselves over the last couple of years as spending a lot of money and signing very big players. Now you lose Jovinko. Josie Altidore, the way he's talking right now, he he sees an end uh, and an exit, at least the way that he's talking. I don't know if that's going to happen, but if it happens, you better go out there and you better spend some money to replace it because that's what this team is right now. I don't need to see a money ball Toronto FC. I don't need to see a money ball and efficient type of team when it comes to Atlanta United because that's not what I've been sold and that's not what they have made themselves out to be. And if they're going to go in a completely new direction, well, they better tell us that that's what's going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen when it comes to Toronto FC, but Atlanta United at least uh, on paper, and we don't know until they actually have the field, but on paper, they look to have replenished and refueled when it comes to this new selling league that we have in MLS. But they got to be careful because, as I said, you pigeonhole yourself as a selling league. It's very, very hard to put that back uh, back into the bottle because it's about ambition. If MLS wants to be the league of choice, and that's what they talk about, then you have to be the league of choice for the world for people coming here. And you want to compete? MLS doesn't want to be just a feeder league. MLS doesn't want to do that. They want to compete and ultimately be the league of choice, the best league in the world. Well, 
you, you got to make sure that you're doing the things and saying the things that make sure that people understand that that is the goal and that is the ambition. All right, next. At Gil underscore in underscore ATX. Which upcoming expansion team has the biggest upside? Biggest upside. All right, let's uh, let's give a little refresher here uh, so that everybody understands uh, what's happening here. So this year, 2019 in Major League Soccer, we have uh, the great FC Cincinnati coming in. I think it's going to be along the lines of a Minnesota United type of situation when it comes to FC Cincinnati. They're going to wait for their stadium to get built. I think it's going to be a soft launch in what we see the product on the field. It doesn't mean that people aren't going to support it and people aren't going to be excited about it, but I don't think that we're really going to see what FC Cincinnati is going to be until that stadium's done, and that's a few years down the line. Okay, so then you have Inter-Miami CF, SC, what, what are we at? What are we at now? I, I've lost track. Inter, I'm, look, Miami. I'm calling it Miami. All right, I'm not calling it Inter. I'm calling it Miami, all right? Miami coming in 2020 and Nashville coming in in 2020. Uh, between those two, I think, I think Miami has a better chance of being successful and being global and international. doesn't mean that's going to be a better club and it doesn't mean that it, that it won't, it, that'll resonate more, but they have a much better, yeah, just a better, I think, a, a better chance at being relevant around the world. Uh, but ultimately, I think Nashville is going to be more uh, competitive and I think a better team, certainly in the short term, maybe not in the in the long term. And then in 2022, you have Austin FC coming in. I don't know what Austin FC is going to be, but I, as I've talked before. I was out there for the uh, the introduction of that of that team, and this ramp that they have is really really important for them to use the next couple of years to get their their well, it wouldn't be their their ducks their uh, grackles I guess you call them uh, in order, and make sure that they are able to hit the ground uh, running. I think it's going to be quirky. I think it's going to be unique. I think it's going to be another Portland esque type of environment. So to answer your question, ultimately, I think Inter Miami. FC, SC, F, whatever. Miami is going to have the biggest upside, I guess. All right, next up, at Ryan E. King 18. Any thoughts on the Andrew Gutman loan to Nashville FC being blocked by MLS, considering they are still in the USL? Seems like one mousetrap screwing with the other mousetrap. Oh, I get it, the mousetrap thing. Okay, because I always say build a better mousetrap. Okay, so for people that don't know, Andrew Gutman, oh, I'm sorry uh, about that. who was the... Uh, that's all right. No. Uh, for people that don't know, Andrew Gutmann is a, a young player who was the uh, Herman Mack Trophy winner, the best player in college soccer. He uh, signed over there with Celtic, and they looked to loan him back over here with Nashville. And as I just mentioned in the, in the previous question, Nashville coming into Major League Soccer uh, next year. This was, uh, the, the kibosh was put on that uh, in a very terse and carefully worded statement by Nashville saying, while they wanted to sign him on loan, uh, MLS uh, has shown their disapproval of this happening and therefore they will not be continuing, uh, continuing on. So everybody gets up in arms. Why are, you, uh, why are you doing this? Well, why are you doing this? It's because Nashville is going to be a major league soccer team. They have signed papers. There are contractual obligations to the things that they have signed, even though they're not an MLS team yet. So basically, if you want to be a part of the club, you got to follow the rules, all right? Whether you like them or not, you're the ones that signed the paper. Now, 
the reason why the disapproval came from the league is because this player in particular, his rights, his homegrown rights are still retained by the Chicago Fire, which obviously is an MLS team and will be a partner when Nashville becomes officially a part of Major League Soccer next year. But as far as the rules and the regulations, they are already a part of Major League Soccer and therefore they have to abide by them. Uh, is it a good look? Eh, maybe, maybe not. But if you're Major League Soccer, you have created this closed system. And I readily admit it's a closed system. It is a club. You pay a lot of money to be part of that club. But you also, in being part of that club, agree to the rules and regulations that exist. Whether you're playing in the league yet or not, they have already agreed to that. And so for me, this is just about following the rules. That's it. That's it? Nothing else? All right, cool. Uh, as always, send us your Ask Alexi questions with that hashtag on all the uh, platforms out there, and Mossy will call through them all and pick uh, some that he feels appropriate uh, for future episodes, and you can hear him read those out at that time. All right, moving on. Hello, people. It's Alexi Lalas. You know, we appreciate you listening to the State of the Union podcast, but if you enjoy our show and you want to know more about the sports gambling world, well, you should take a minute to check out another show we do here on Fox Sports, the Coming Up Winners podcast hosted by Jason McIntyre. Coming Up Winners dives deep into analytical trends that could become major influences in sports gambling. Jason McIntyre and company tackle all the biggest games on the board and break down the NFL, NBA, college football, and college basketball. So subscribe now for weekly episodes every Monday and Thursday afternoon, available wherever you get your podcasts. Now, back to the show. The Back Three. All right, it's time for our Back Three, where we go through some big stories, games, moments over the last week. Mossy, what do we have teed up for this week? Uh, first up, the U.S. men's national team. Ooh, yes. uh, two wins out of two under Greg Berhalter. They followed up their victory over Panama with a win over Costa Rica this weekend. You were there in San Jose for it. Thoughts on the Costa Rica game and this January camp in general? Okay, so yeah, we were up in uh, San Jose up there, and it was a win, in my expert opinion. Winning is better than losing. Congratulations to Greg Berhalter starting off uh, his era with two wins in a row, uh, undefeated, unscored upon. Okay, so if I go down the players that were in this camp, and we know that this was a MLS-based camp because the players that are playing over in Europe and elsewhere uh, were not released because they're in, uh, in season. So Zach Steven continues on for me to be the number one goalkeeper. I think Nick Lima did himself a real favor in this camp and will continue on, if nothing else, because outside backs continue to be a problem. And in particular, because Nick Lima played, and I'll talk about this in a second, the position in a way that Greg Burhalter wants, and it's in a very unique style and way. Aaron Long being captain for both of those games, I think, is going to be in the mix when it comes to the center back position. Lovitz didn't do so much. Cannon didn't do so much. Trusty didn't do so much. Zimmerman did well, not just scoring the goal, but I thought being solid, but but both him and Aaron Long really weren't tested over the last couple of games. Michael Bradley showed again why he is the general and one of the greatest players uh, uh, U.S. has ever produced. I thought he was the man of the match when it came to the first game, and especially as we move on to Will Trapp in this compare and contrast that's going to go on. You want the uh, Kings position where you're going to have to knock him off, and nobody yet, for me has done what Michael Bradley has done. And still a small sample size, and there's plenty of guys over in Europe that can play that position. But 
Michael Bradley still is the best uh, best in that position. I didn't think that Will Trapp came out and stamped the game with authority to the extent that I look and say I'm comfortable going forward with Will Trapp in that Michael Bradley position. Now that could change going forward. Corey Baird gives you that speed outside. Revelation maybe is a strong word, but Jordy Mihalovic, I think he's still young. Obviously, he's 20 years old and young in the way that he plays. He still hasn't filled out. I think he gets pushed off the ball. He was undeniably talented, but I just think that he, from a physical perspective, when it really gets down to it, he can be intimidated and I think it's going to be problematic. doesn't mean it can't change and he can't get better, but Christian Roldan, I think, did a really good job and he continues to get better and better and better. Ariola with that speed on the outside, which is something that Greg Berhalter talked about wanting that. Sebastian Legette in a substitution role. I think Sebastian Legette is going to be a part of this team for a long time to come. He is he is solid. Uh, and once again, the impact of of substitutions coming off the bench, which Greg Berhalter talked about, making sure that if and when I call on you, you go in, you make an impact, you do something in there to impact the game in a positive way. Jonathan Lewis, again, speed out wide. There's a lot of this speed out wide and utilizing that. Delgado didn't do much uh, for his case. Jassy Zardes was Jassy Zardes in that I like that he spreads the field and gets behind um, his touch at times is okay, but he's not goal dangerous. Uh, Jeremy Abobasi played on that left-hand side. Eh, I don't think that's going to happen. Christian Ramirez just scores goals, and it's nice to have somebody that you know who, well, you may scratch your head at times and say, how is this possible? The ball goes in. The ball finds him and goes in the back of the net, so I think he'll be in the mix, especially if you're talking about uh, players up top that are Jordan Morris, Josh Sargent, and... Uh, Josie Altidore and dare I say it Bobby Wood I still think that Christian Mira is going to be in there because ultimately nobody cares how you do it they just care that you put the ball in the back of the net and he did so that's that's from a player perspective I will say this Uh, we sat down with Greg Berhalter before the game and he ran us through a session and not with a bunch of coach speak and, and boring platitudes or anything like that he brought his computer in and his whiteboard and he and he explained very clearly, and I thought in a really articulate, clear, succinct, and ultimately what I thought was a pretty refreshing way, exactly what he was trying to do. With the understanding that it's not going to go perfectly, and the understanding that there's only so much he can throw at these players. And so whether it's moving from a back three when you're in possession into a back four when you're defending, or sending that right back that he has into the midfield when they're coming out of the back, whether it's playing out of the back through the goalkeeper, whether it's getting multiple players in the box, all of these different things, whether playing with two tens, all of these different things that he was talking about, the substitution reliance and importance when they come in, getting the ball wide, all of these different things. He had video to show this is when we do it well, this is when we didn't do it well. And as I said, it's still a small sample size, but it was clear and it gave us a much better way to judge him going forward. And as I said, it was it was refreshing to see because it wasn't just a lot of mumbo jumbo and you know, subjective type of thinking. It was right there. You could see this is what I want them to do. These players did it. These players might not have been comfortable doing it, but at least I respect that they tried it. And so I think Greg Berhalter, look, there's going to be a lot of twists and turns and ups and downs going forward for this team. It's not always going to be roses, but so far so good because I think you can see what he wants to do 
and you can see a plan and a progression going forward. But we all know he's ultimately going to be judged on those wins and losses. And this summer, when that Gold Cup happens, I think is the first time that we're really going to look at it from a critical standpoint and say, all right, that's all fine and well. Does it translate into, in a competitive environment, making sure uh, that you're successful? But so far, uh, so good under the, uh, in the uh, Greg Berhalter era. All right, what else? Next up, uh, the January transfer window in Europe has slammed shut, so we can put a ribbon on it. I said last week that if the window closed without PSG upgrading their midfield, they would be the big losers. They actually made a very good move. They added Leandro Paredes, this Argentine from Zenit, and now Tuchel is trying to convince them to reintegrate Rabio into the first team, which they should. They've handled that situation incredibly poorly. Can I ask you a, quick, a question about the, the transfer window? Do you think that... MLS, we were talking about that in the previous segment. Do you think MLS actually benefits from the fact that we are not in season in the January transfer window? And I say that because what if Miguel Almiron was available in the summer? What if, and for those that don't know the, the, the saga with Lucho Costa uh, and, and PSG and what seemed like desperation and, and, you know, who knows, maybe DC United to a certain extent got catfished or anything, but it's a, it's a crazy story. But what I'm saying is, is because we are out of season and there's more players available, does it work to MLS's benefit at times in, in, in that would, would Miguel and Marone for $27 million still have gone in the summer when there's a whole lot more options out there than if, if he goes in January? Yeah, that's interesting. I know, you know, the, the, the Brazilian league has the same calendar as MLS, and it's a big issue that the summer transfer window in Europe, where there's the most activity, occurs right smack in the middle of the Brazilian league. So teams have their best players ripped away from them right. in the middle of the season. So that would be the concern about not being lined up with Europe. But, but you think there's some benefits. Yeah, I guess an argument could be made for that. I'm just saying the, the desperation that comes in January can work for and against you, right? right? And... But there's only so many players that are available, and the, 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 the sea of players increases over the summer, okay? There's, I mean, theoretically, anybody is available. I, I, I right, get right, that. Right. But the p willing, to, willing to part with players is much smaller in the January window than it is in a changeover type of situation in the summer. And maybe it works, it works to the advantage, and maybe Miguel Almiron would have just been one of a, a collection of five or ten players that, that Newcastle would have been looking at as opposed to just their, their primary target. Yeah, that's a good point. I, they, there are pros and cons, I suppose. Yeah. As Anything far happened as the, to caught your eye besides the stuff Well, as far about. as the, let's just uh, check in on the striker carousel we talked about last week. So Gonzalo Higuain did score twice against Huddersfield, including one incredible long-distance strike. Uh, Morata struggled in his debut for Atletico against Betis, but the big winners in that whole deal are going to be AC Milan because this kid they signed Piatek to replace Higuain looks like he's going to be an absolute stud. Three goals in his first two starts, two against Napoli, one against Roma. And Milan were one of the big winners in January because they also signed this young Brazilian midfielder, Lucas Paqueta, who's outstanding. He's assisted two of Piatek's goals. So uh, those two are going to form a lethal combination. Milan are kind of back in business here with Leonardo and Paolo Maldini calling the shots there. Uh, but I do want to ask you about Bayern. I'm going to use this topic as a jumping off point for a little Bundesliga talk here. They made a lot of noise this January. They did They did make a deal for Pavard for next season. Very good signing. But in terms of bringing in players this January, they tried to get Hudson-Odoi. They didn't. They were linked with Rabiot. They didn't get him. So in the end, when the dust settles, the only player they brought in this January was Alfonso Davies, who's played a total of 19 minutes in right. the first three games since the winter break. 
Uh, and so they go out, they play poorly, they lose this past weekend to Leverkusen. They're now seven points back. They have this Champions League tie against Liverpool looming. Did they make a mistake here? Did they need to do something bold uh, this January to reverse the course of the season? Did they maybe get fooled by ripping off a few wins here and thinking they didn't I think need we, the yeah, help? I think we all got fooled. I mean, it is emerging that they are a, a much more of a paper tiger. No, what's their, are they, are they bears? What are they, uh, do they have, uh, does Bayern have bears or whatever? <laughs> so maybe a paper bear, I guess it would be then, then the real deal. And I think think both internally and, and externally, we overrated them in terms of their ability. And maybe it was because we thought that Dortmund was going to slip up. And while Dortmund, even when Dortmund slips up, then Bayern Munich slips up, slips up too. So I just, yeah, I, I think that Bayern Munich misjudged how good they are, they themselves, but more importantly, I think they misjudged how good Borussia Dortmund was going to be. Absolutely. Yeah, I think a lot of us have been on the page that we still think Bayern are going to win sure. the league. This weekend, oh, yeah. you could sense the worm turning a little bit. Yep. I, don't, I don't know if you caught Absolutely. any of our shows, but there Absolutely. was definitely a... Um, all right, so... That was an opening. That was the opening that they wanted, yeah, and yeah. They, they pissed it away. Yep, so. yep, absolutely. All right, we'll end on this. The turmoil at Chelsea, which has been causing our producer, Alex Dowd, great consternation. <laughs> he, he, he hasn't had his usual spark the last uh, few weeks. They did beat up on Huddersfield this past weekend, but, but the game before that, they lost 4-0 to Bournemouth. Uh, shout out to Davi Luiz for his performance in that game. Uh, th- this season has been... <laughs> Uh, trending in the wrong direction. There's talk of locker room unrest. Maurizio Sadi throwing players under the bus, taking pot shots at Eden Hazard for not being a leader. And so a lot of people think now Sadi is not long for that job. Uh, now they're, they're two points above United for uh, fourth place. I think at this time next week, they're going to be out of the top four because their next game's away to City while United face Fulham. Uh, keep in mind, they're still in the Europa League, so they have that path into the Champions League. And they also have two massive cup games coming up that I think could affect the perception of the situation. February 18th, they host Manchester United in the fifth round of the FA Cup. And then six days later, they face Manchester City at Wembley in the League Cup final. So we'll see how the next few weeks play out. But there is actually talk that, depending on the way these next few weeks go, Saudi could get fired. What is it about this club that they're incapable of any kind of managerial stability? Well, I don't know. (laughs) I mean, I think the leadership and the -the behind-the-scenes leadership is lacking, I think. You know, I, sometimes I make fun of technical directors and directors of soccer and you know, GM type of positions that we create, but we don't really, you know, we have this nebulous type of situation where we don't really know what these people do. But if you have somebody that is good, that establishes this is the plan and this is how we're going and this is how we evaluate talent and these are the types of players that we, that we have as opposed to just throwing stuff at the wall – I think that that's important, and I think that that's lacking at, at Chelsea, number one. Number two, when it comes to the coaches, and, and sorry, uh, Alex, give me thumbs up or thumbs down. Uh, do you want to continue with him now? You do. You, I can't believe this. All right. <laughs> All right. So there, there are those that ultimately believe that he is a good coach. There's a, there's a lot in, in what he has done and things he's said and done over the, uh, the past few months. Dare I say there's a little Mourinho-esque type of performance and decisions that make you go mm, and make you scratch your head is is that good is that bad is that this guy's just operating a whole nother level from a, a psychological standpoint and maybe I don't understand it but this is this, this is why he's being paid all of this money or do you just say this guy doesn't know what he's doing and he's bad <laughs> you know what crazy I don't know but this it's a I thought they had come out of the 
you know, the, the problems. I thought the darkness had, had gone away and they were out into the light. Can they continue to do this, Mossy? Well, look, two things. This is the, the danger with Pulisic going there. We talked about this. I mean, there were actually people defending this Pulisic move on the basis that he's a great fit on their Saudi system. Well, uh, there's now a very good chance he's going to arrive next season. Saudi's not even going to be there. Basing any kind of long-term decision uh, on who the manager at Chelsea is, is that given, in that given time is completely ridiculous. So we'll have to wait and see. Who knows who's going to be managing Christian Pulisic at Chelsea next season. The other thing I'll say is... A lot of Chelsea fans are pointing to the Vinicius Jr. situation at Madrid and look at the spark that a young player like that can give you. And I agree with them. If you're Marito Sadi, for Christ's sake, play this kid. It's unbelievable he has not started a league game this season. He's good enough for a club like Bayern Munich that does not throw money around uh, to have offered 40 million euros for him this January. And he's good enough for you not to have taken that offer. So how is he not starting games over Pedro or William? Give him a run of games. Start him the next five games or so. You might catch lightning in a bottle here. He might be able to give you a similar spark to the one that Vinicius Jr. has given Real Madrid. So to me, that that's something that Saudi could maybe do differently to try to turn this season around. And this, in a, in a, and I hesitate to do this because we're on the outside but uh that's what we do right we <laughs> we criticize <laughs> and we have opinions even uh even if we don't have uh first-hand information but when i look at this team it does not seem to me that they have leadership and the one thing that was interesting when sorry t- started talking about hazard right and and talking about how he's not a leader and oh how could you possibly say it it's absolutely correct this is not a guy that i'm going to run through a wall for this is a guy, undoubtedly one of the great talents in the world, but he's not going to lead in the traditional sense. And so if you're not going to lead that way, then you have to lead by example. And his in and out and up and down type of existence and almost a nonchalance and a careless type of approach to the way that, the way that he, he looks and plays at times, that's not, go, that's not going to lead anybody. So I think that they really, la- and look, we can talk about the, the, the tactile part of N'Golo Kante and where he's playing or where he's not playing and all that uh, and changing it all around. But I just think that this team collectively, I mean, you know, Olivier Giroud, I mean, it's whatever. I mean, there's a million players you can look to. Nobody, there's no leaders. There's nobody here that's going to pin anybody up on the wall in the locker room. There's nobody in here that's going to, th- that I want to follow into battle. And that's a problem for a big team like this. But as you said, don't worry, Christian, Christian Pulisic's coming. So that'll, that'll all change next year, right? He's going to lead them out of, once again, the darkness into the light. Go, Christian, go. Uh, anything else? Uh, no, that is it. All right. So we've come to the end of another show here. I want to thank you uh, for tuning in. At the end of each and every show, we do our one big thing from uh, from our podcast. And uh, while I talked about landing and retiring and all that kind of stuff, I want to spin it to something else. Uh, I, I travel a lot and I come in contact with a lot of folks out there and, and everyone's always wonderful. And, you know, we talk and we you know, everyone wants to ask me questions and debate and, and, and argue in a, in a good way, in a good-natured and, and respectful way. I have come across so many people in our travels, Mossy, over the last year that uh, specifically mention the podcast. And it's specific, and then they want to talk about you, and then I walk away. But they do mention the podcast, at which point I, I, I thank them. Um, and so if you are listening right now, I want to I thank you for taking the time 
to listen to this podcast. I know it's I know it's a little different, and I know we kind of uh, go all over the place, and uh, we try to get as much in as we possibly can. And there's other podcasts out there that are that are wonderful, uh, and there's other people that work a tremendous amount uh, in this sport. We we take this we take we take what we do seriously, but we don't take our ourselves too seriously. And I want to thank you for for tuning in each and every week. And I want to thank you for all the wonderful comments uh, that you've given us, especially in person when I see people out there on the road and they tell tell us how much they uh, they like what we're doing. Uh, and they give critical analysis of everything too, which is which which is cool. But all of that is to say that we are all once again part of this incredible soccer community. And it's a soccer community that uh, supports each other, uh, that recognizes, as I've said many times, where we have different ideas of, about what we should do. But we are a family in, uh, in the soccer community. We're also a family in the podcasting community. And that leads me to, uh, to this. Uh, there's a wonderful young man named Daryl Grove uh, who does a total soccer podcast. It's a podcast that you should definitely listen to. And it's a podcast that I've been listening to for years. Uh, Daryl's going through uh, some problems right now, uh, and I want to send him uh, all of our thoughts and best wishes as he uh, as he is doing that. We are, as I said, a soccer uh, family, and uh, this is La Cosa Nostra. This is this is our thing, warts and all. Um, but ultimately, we all are putting in each and every day, each and every week, something into this incredible American soccer culture. Uh, and someone like Daryl and so many others out there that uh, continue to talk about the game, to continue to put out content, um, uh, I, I just want to make sure that everybody understands that while we might at times disagree on different things, what we can all agree in is we want soccer to succeed. And people like Daryl, uh, and so many other people out there uh, are part of this family. And when one of ours has some problems, when one of us uh, needs some help and needs support and prayers uh, and thoughts, we do that, whether we, ag- whether, we agree or, uh, whether we agree or not. And so I'm sending all of my um, love out to Daryl uh, as he goes, uh, goes through this, uh, and uh, we wish him a speedy, speedy recovery so that he can continue to do the great things that he does when it comes to uh, talking about soccer in the United States. Uh, With that, we will end this podcast. We will move on to next week. We hope to see you and hear uh, from you next week. Don't forget, use that Ask Alexi hashtag. Send us your questions and your comments. Mossy, anything before we go? Nope. All right. Size the day.